the squadron. They called him Bullets, but we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. So what did you do for the anniversary of January 6th? My goodness gracious, the media lost its mind all over again. Uh, Joe Biden is uh, telling ghost stories about America. Man, he went to, where is he right now? He's at some church where there was a mass murder about seven years ago, eight years ago. Uh, he's speaking right now at a church in South Carolina where some maniac went on a shooting spree in 2015. Uh, a mass shooting by a nut job. And guess what? They're all trying to blame Trump for that mass shooting. It happened like a day after Trump became a candidate, literally the next day. And they say that it it happened because of Trump. It happened that mass killing. I guess uh, Dylan Roof was his name, and he was a mass murderer. And uh, like a lot of mass murderers, a totally crazy, insane person. And uh, they have all kinds of things going on in their head. I guess he muttered something about white supremacy. And aha, you see? Dylan Roof did that at the same exact time Donald Trump was physically located in America. So there must be a connection. Um, man, what a what a creepy guy. There's not one leader in the country going around bad-mouthing America. Not one leader in the world bad-mouthing their country as much as Joe Biden is bad-mouthing America. Kim Jong-un, I mean, I don't like him, but to his credit, you know, everything in North Korea, according to him, is great. <laughs> Everything, according to President Xi, is fantastic in China. Putin and the rest. I mean, look, I'm not saying we have to mimic those guys, uh, but, you know, there's got to be a little bit of cheerleading. There's got to be a little bit of pride. Uh, not with Joe. It's, again, really, really dark. Really the opposite of unity. Fear. Division. Those are the tools he will use to uh, that he hopes will keep him in power. I don't think so. I don't think so. I'll get to, uh, let's see here. Yeah, it's just dark, dark, dark. Now he's going on about how everything is greater in terms of, uh, oh, yeah, this whole trope about going to uh, McDonald's to get on the Internet. Poor people, he says, have to go to McDonald's to get on the Internet. Uh, I've tried to access the Internet at McDonald's. It doesn't work. Okay, it doesn't work. You know, uh, kids today, uh, poor, middle class, and rich, have absolutely no trouble finding their way online. All right, Joe, give it a rest. I need to talk about Ashley Babbitt, though. It's very, very important. Ashley Babbitt, in all the January 6th coverage, I had, the only person talking about it, quite frankly, is uh, me and Trump and maybe one or two others, uh, in the media at least. Did you, hear, did you hear what happened on Friday, January 5th, the day before the anniversary? I'm so pleased. I guess it broke on this show that... Um, the estate of Ashley Babbitt and Aaron Babbitt uh, are suing the United States of America. The complaint for assault and battery, negligence, negligent supervision, discipline and retention, negligent training, survival, and wrongful death. Because Ashley Babbitt was an unarmed woman shot and killed by a Capitol Police cop. And anybody with an ounce of common sense and eyeballs can see that this was an unjust shooting. Worse than that, that sounds too. It was a murder. It was it was the worst thing I've I this is quite frankly, in retrospect, you know, knowing what I know now about uh, Derek Chauvin, this is worse than the George Floyd matter, far worse than the George Floyd. Hey, at least with George Floyd, there was outrage. It was misplaced outrage. It was um, not actually based on facts, but there was outrage. 
no outrage about this. I think it has something to do with the fact that Ashley Babbitt is a working class white woman, which, believe me, according to the uh, to the left and not even the not so left, the corporate uh, the corporate chieftains, the people pulling the strings on our culture, our media, the whole damn system. Nothing lower right now in America than a white woman. And you better, you better, white women, if you want to redeem yourselves, you got to come out and vote Democrat an election after an election after an election. And then maybe that Karen thing will go away. But until you've uh, redeemed yourselves for voting for President Trump, you are at the bottom of the heap. I don't like it, but that's quite frankly the way it is. That's where this whole cancel culture thing. So listen to this. This is huge news. The lawsuit was filed. And I know a lot, I know a lot more about this case than most people. But I don't know everything, and there's new information. Number one, it looks like, uh, what's his name, Michael Byrd, Lieutenant Michael Byrd, who now is a captain, the Capitol Police Department. He shoots an unarmed woman, and he gets a promotion. How about that one? Well, right after the shooting, about a minute after he gets on the radio and says all kinds of stuff that, um, well, indicates to me that he's trying to cover up what he just did. How can you cover up a shooting? Well, you can create confusion about who shot first. I want uh, January 6th. This is Michael Byrd getting a little panicky on the radio about a minute after he shot and killed Ashley Babbitt. Go ahead with that, please. We got shots fired in the lobby. We got shots fired in the lobby of the house chamber. Shots are being fired at us, and we're prepared to fire back at them. All right. Could you make all that out? Let me read it to you because it's right here in the uh, in the lawsuit. We got shots fired in the lobby. We got shots fired in the lobby of the House chamber. Shots are being fired at us and we're uh, we're prepared to fire back at them. We have guns drawn. Please don't leave that end. Don't leave that end. Well, here's the deal. the The only shots fired was from Bird and he just fired it a minute earlier. You see how he's trying to create confusion? Wait, we, we've been fired at, and now we're preparing to fire back? That's not true. That is not true. There was one shot fired, and it was from Bird into Ashley Babbitt's uh, neck and shoulder. How about that? How about that? What does that mean? This is dynamite. This is dynamite. This is a, well, the, I didn't need anything else. I saw the video. You got the video. I got the video. You've seen the video. Have you, actually? It's getting harder and harder to find online. I am so suspicious of big tech. That's uh, that's fascinating stuff. It does tell me that he was trying to create confusion after the fact. Oh, they shot at us first. And that's why he fired. There was not a gun in the crowd. Ashley Babbitt was unarmed, and you couldn't see anything. You couldn't see anything on her. He even admitted that. Next transmission, please. Cut 15. I'm casting shots fired on the house floor again. We got an injured person. I believe that person was shot. Civilian. We need EMTs. We need come through on the west side of the building up to the house lobby. All right. I play that. Go ahead. Did you copy? I copied house lobby, west side, individual. So I find that interesting because um, on that one, actually, it's just how blasé the uh, <laughs> the guy at command center is. Uh, hello? Okay, shots fired. Writing it down. Like, it's just another day at the office. And those guys are usually pretty calm and cool. 
Um, but he's all, you know, he's uh, all over himself. What else here? What else here? I got the names of the cops who walked away, and even the cops themselves are saying maybe we shouldn't have walked away. If you look at the video, and I played it a million times, there are three police officers guarding this door that leads to a hallway right outside the house chamber. And people are yelling and shouting at them, but they're not hitting them. There are no weapons, and there's actually a fair amount of space, I would say a foot, foot and a half, maybe even more space between them and the protesters. And then they talk amongst themselves, and for something that has never been explained, they walk off. They just walk away. Three of them walk away. And uh, why do they do that? Uh, They're questioning that themselves. One guy in the middle said, I always, I, I wonder, maybe I should have stayed. You think? Turns out that those officers were ordered to be there, ordered to guard that door. And then they just walked away. They just walked away. It's so crazy. And it's so crazy that no one is, uh, you know, a woman died. A woman is killed by the government and the media who are supposed to be, let's face it, they're supposed to be antagonistic, right, towards the government. Uh, They're not. They're antagonistic toward Trump. Cut 16, please. Donald Trump is dominating the political conversation in the only way he can with wild and outlandish comments, among them claiming that the U.S. Civil War could have been avoided if it had been negotiated, mocking the war injuries that the late John McCain sustained as a Vietnam POW, imitating President Biden's stutter. Um, <laughs> these are some of the things we like about Trump. What, you can't make fun of the way Joe Biden talks? Sure you can. Why not? This is one of the things I actually noticed as a kid. When I was like 12 years old, I started reading the newspaper and I started watching those uh, Sunday shows. I was kind of into the news. And I noticed that all day long, these people would gang up on the president. They would just, it was like their job all the time saying stuff about the president. And I didn't really hear that much from the president. And I have a theory that Donald Trump was noticing the same thing. And you know what? If I ever get into power, I'll flip it. Why Why is that conversation so one way? People making all this money criticizing the presidency day in and day out. Where's the president? Well, you can't respond you, you can't do that. That would be unpresidential. So you're just going to let these people walk all over you, crap all over you, lie about you all the time? I was waiting for a president to say, you know what? Screw that. Give it. Give it to them. Give it to them worse than they give it to you. I mean, that's a fighter, and I like it. By the way, Joe Biden, um, <laughs> I don't know if it's a stutter. Actually, the whole thing about stutter is uh, is a bit of a political myth. But he... Often can't talk. Cut 17. We're going to seize their yachts, their luxury homes, and other ill-begotten gains of Putin's kleptocracy. Yeah. Kleptocracy. The guys who are the kleptocracy. (laughs) (laughs) Not funny, Joe. In fact, pretty weird. Very weird. Uh, Hey, you know who's a real superstar? Elise Stefanik. You know who she is? Congresswoman from upstate New York. If I had a bet, I'd say there's a um, 80% chance she's going to be Trump's vice president. 80% chance. Uh, she was fantastic. This is how it's done. Elise Stefanik, Republican. Uh, she's MAGA. And, oh, by the way, she went to Harvard. She downplays that. 
And she's about she's interviewed yesterday by somebody else who went to Harvard. Doesn't matter. At least Stefanik is. Uh, <laughs> doesn't matter where she went to college. Uh, she's the smartest person in this exchange. Uh, she owns Meet the Press. Cut 20, please. Cut 20. You are one of Trump's strongest supporters. In his speech, President Biden cast the former president as a threat to democracy. This was an argument that was effective in 2020. It was a winning argument for Democrats in 2022. How do you answer that charge? Well, first, Kristen, I wouldn't say it's a winning argument. In fact, in 2022, Democrats lost the House, and House Republicans ran on the issues that matter to the American people. We ran on securing the border. We ran on addressing the historic inflation, which the American people know is a result of Joe Biden's failed policies and the trillions of dollars of reckless spending. And what Joe Biden didn't mention in his speech were any of the policies that have created a crisis across America. So zero mention of the border, which is wide open and a top issue even in my home state in New York. You have Democrat mayors who are speaking out about Joe Biden's border crisis. No mention of inflation, which continues to be a concern for voters across my district. And when it comes to threats to to democracy, Joe Biden and Democrats are a threat to democracy. We see them attempting to remove President Trump from the ballot. We saw this in Colorado and Maine. That is a suppression of the American people and the American people's ability to cast their ballots this November. So it's Democrats that are a threat to democracy. We should note, of course, there's no evidence that President Biden is in any way coordinating with the Justice Department in terms of the indictments against former President Trump. But staying on this issue of January 6th, because of course Mr. Trump was talking about this as well. This weekend we did mark the three-year anniversary, and I want to pause for a minute and play some of the comments that you made on the evening of that day. Let's take a look. This has been a truly tragic day for America. Americans will always have the freedom of speech and the constitutional right to protest, but violence in any form is absolutely unacceptable. It is anti-American and must be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. In terms of what we're hearing today, former President Trump has referred to January 6th as a, quote, beautiful day. Just this weekend, he referred to some of those who are serving time for having stormed the Capitol as, quote, hostages. Do you still feel as though that day was tragic and that those who were responsible should be held responsible to the fullest extent of the law? Well, first of all, Kristen, as typical for NBC and the biased media, you played one excerpt of my speech. I stand by my comments that I made on the House floor. I stood up for election integrity, and I challenged and objected to the certification of the state of Pennsylvania because of the unconstitutional overreach. So I absolutely stand by my floor speech. I am proud to support President Trump. And I want to correct another statement you made, that there is no coordination with Joe Biden and the Department of Justice in prosecutions against President Trump. We just saw Hunter Biden defy a congressional subpoena and the White House admitting it was in coordination with Joe Biden the morning of. That is coordination and I believe that Joe Biden will be found to be the most corrupt president in our nation's history and that's why all of the investigative work that we're doing is so, so important because the American people, they deserve transparency and accountability. Uh, One year from right now, one year from right now, Elise Stefanik Vice President-elect of the United States. I'd say 80, 89%, 90% chance of that happening. Be right back. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. 
The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. You know, Biden wrapped up that speech. What time is it? Um, he's already done with it. It's 1.30 in the afternoon. I notice this about him. Whenever he has a big speech, it's usually pretty early. He doesn't stay up uh, very late. You know, uh, with Trump, they seem to skew toward the evening times. And also, he's really at it on the weekends. And in the weekends, the weekends, people, it used to be the other way around. People didn't uh, really engage the news um, during the weekend. Um, the phone has kind of changed that. And people are engaged with with the news on the weekend because they don't have to work. And I don't know, there's certain, and his his comments transcend the news a lot. You want to, It's entertaining, so you want to know. And it's the biggest story. I don't know what the hell's going on with the timing, but Trump's timing is a lot better than um then uh, Joe Biden's here. Man, uh, that was, hey, what's going on with the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin? I'm going to call him Lloyd, um, Lloyd Vader. Lloyd Vader. Get it? Lord Vader. Lloyd Vader. Why? Because he dresses like Darth Vader. He got. He went to the Philippines once. Our Secretary of Defense, this is during COVID, not only was he triple masked, but he had a, uh, a transparent visor shield over his entire head. It was the strangest looking apparatus. It made him look like a spaceman. It made him look a little bit like Darth Vader. And uh, he checked himself into the hospital the other day. Nobody knew it. Nobody. He didn't tell anybody. His uh, his aides did not tell anyone at the Defense Department. They didn't let the deputy know that hey, he's going to be out of commission for a couple of days. They didn't tell the White House. They are embarrassed. They are mad. But because it's Lloyd Austin, and uh, they go easy on him for a number of reasons. Uh, they're going to try to not make a big deal out of this, the White House. They want it to go away, but it really is something. And a friend just points this out. If you are the Secretary of Defense and you can leave for four days and nobody notices, what does that tell you? What does it tell you? That political appointees are actually not in charge. It is the bureaucracy. It is the deep state. It is unelected executives running our government. It's not a democracy. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. There's no path from this darkness. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. All right. I love it whenever Biden gets interrupted by hecklers. Not that I agree with the hecklers. I don't. Ceasefire now. They're calling for Israel to stop pounding the terrorists. That's not going to happen. We want those terrorists beat, beat bad. Gosh, imagine that. You uh, you invade a peaceful country and you take a bunch of women and children hostages and uh, you're surprised you made the world mad. So... Anyway, that just happened at a church in South Carolina. Uh, Joe Biden on his ghost story tour, trying to make everybody freaked out about America, white supremacy, <clears throat> uh, systemic racism, you name it. Uh, this is a guy who actually stood in front of a bunch of black people and said that uh, 
Mitt Romney is going to put you back in chains. <laughs> He's going to put you all back in chains. That's, uh, what do you call that again? Pandering. But it's worse than pandering. It's, it's the most craven, naked power play. It's disgusting. It is, um, depraved and diabolical almost. It really is. He's a bad, bad, bad guy. All right. Uh, Gail, what do you think of everything? Hello. Happy, happy new year and blessed. Listen, um, I'm listening to what you're talking about. And, uh, I think uh, the president, the sitting president had his, uh, days mixed up. The darkest day was his inauguration day. Um, when he started stripping away at our sovereign nation, which is part of the constitution, um, to protect our borders. And also thanks, uh, Greg, for going over word by word, clip by clip of the regarding of Ashley Babbitt's murder. You reach the nation. Thank goodness. Thank you. I hope so. You're talking about that video I did on a uh, Friday night and, uh, yeah, put a lot of work into it. Uh, we broke it down. I'm going to be talking to Aaron Babbitt, um, and, um, the wife, the husband of, uh, Ashley. And it's just amazing what happened. It's amazing that, uh, they got away with it, but they, they're not going to get away with it. Here's um, here's Michael Bird, who I didn't know this, but now reading the lawsuit, I understand that he's been promoted to captain. Um, here's Lieutenant Bird incriminating himself, talking to Lester Holt back in August of 2021. Go ahead with that, please. The uh, the clip I just sent you, uh, the one before the last. Yep. And what did you think this individual was doing at that at that? She was posing a threat to United States House of Representatives. But an attorney for Ashley Babbitt's family disputes that. He did not respond to our request for a comment, but in a previous statement said Babbitt was not brandishing a weapon, not in close proximity to members of Congress, and was not an imminent threat of death or serious injury to anyone. Her family points out that she was not armed. That's correct. The fact that you weren't aware whether she was armed or not, did that alter the decision-making? It did not. And what did you think this individual was doing at that at that moment? She was posing a threat. Posing a threat. Posing a threat. Well, the law and the regulations uh, concerning being a cop, that's not enough. What kind of threat? you got to be a, a, a threat of imminent death. That's the threat that she had to be posing to you. Imminent death. You, Michael Byrd, would have been would have died imminently had you not shot Ashley Babbitt. You don't meet that criteria. You are a million light years short of that. You have to assess. You have to ascertain whether or not she has a weapon. You know, I've heard the I've heard the excuse before. You've heard it before. You know, a police officer when things get confusing out there. So I thought it was a gun. You know, I thought he had a gun, but it turned out to be an ice cream sandwich or something like that. Yeah, I've heard that before. You've heard that before. It looked like a gun, you know, but it was something else or it was a toy gun. And, you know, you make the you make the assessment later. OK, was it justified? Not there's nobody who can justify this. And they're counting on people being uh, checked out. They're counting on that rigged system down there. Uh, just kind of mm, as an organization, just everybody looking away. But this beautiful lawsuit is a victory for justice. It really is. I don't care if there are four people in the whole country, if they're the only ones talking about this. I want to be one of them. I really do. I think it's a great, great, great thing 
Long time coming. Revenge is a dish best served cold, right? They waited three years to file this thing, and they had to do a fair amount of discovery. They had to investigate. And I think before you sue, you reach out to the department and you say, hey, uh, you guys did this. This is what we found out. Why don't you do the right thing and settle? And they wouldn't. And so, uh, well, the lawsuit. Here's something else about Ashley. I'm sorry, um, Lieutenant Bird, now Captain Bird. A couple of years ago, while he's a Capitol Hill police officer, he had his car stolen. He comes home and he sees a bunch of kids getting into his car and they drive off in it. What does he do? He gets in his car and pursues them and takes out his gun and starts shooting at the car. He starts shooting at the car and he's hitting houses. He hit a fire hydrant. He's hitting everything else other than the car. Bam, 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 bam. There are, look, you know, I would like to do that. Some, if somebody stole my car, I might like to do that. But you can't do that, especially if you're a cop. You can't just start shooting at somebody if they stole your car even. Imagine that. You can't. And the Capitol Hill police knew that, and they took his bad. I think they, they suspended him for a while. They said, you can't be a police officer after doing something like that. He left his gun in the bathroom a couple of times. Um, he's known to be a bit of a, a political activist. This is not in the lawsuit, but trading all kinds of, uh, selling all kinds of Black Lives Matter merchandise and things like that. You know, they put him on the campus of Andrews Air Force Base for about five months after the, after January 6th because they had to protect him from all the MAGA people. Had to protect him from all the MAGA people. Right? You see that? The optics. So you see what we have to do because we're so afraid of these MAGA people and what they'll do. Political. That Capitol Hill Police Department is fundamentally broken. And that they haven't gone in there and cleaned the whole damn thing up. You know, any Capitol, any, any police department run by Congress, you think that's going to be any good? Let's see here. Lieutenant Byrd's training on First Amendment demonstrations, crowd control, breach, and occupation of the Capitol, lockdowns, breakdowns in command and control, and incident management was also plainly deficient and or inadequate as alleged herein as was training in radio communication as demonstrated by Lieutenant Byrd's false post-shooting radio calls. <laughs> I mean, the guy was lying on the totally, totally, and I mean, it seems that way, right? There are shots fired. Only one who fired a shot was you. All right, I'm going to get back to that. Actually, no, we're going to stay on January 6th for a moment because ABC News had some really important news about January 6th. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. All morning long, they're promoting this breaking news that's going to be unveiled by George Stephanopoulos' team. And you know what it is? Donald Trump was watching TV on January 6th. Now, I know I've heard that a billion times, but there must be something else, right? Cut 21. This morning, we have exclusive new reporting on what Trump was doing at the White House on January 6th as the riders surged through the Capitol. Chief Washington correspondent John Carl starts us off. Good morning, John. Good morning, George. Donald Trump's closest advisors in the White House have provided Jack Smith's team with an extraordinarily detailed description of what Trump was doing and what he was refusing to do as the U.S. Capitol came under attack. These are not Trump's critics. These are some of his most trusted aides. And according to sources familiar with the investigation, some of the most vivid and damning descriptions have come from Trump's longtime employee and current advisor, Dan Scavino. Hey, stop for a second. When I was watching this yesterday, I, I knew immediately that it was nothing. This morning. I knew it was nothing because of all the, how they're trying to play it up, play it up, play it up. But you notice they're not telling us what the hell it is. 
Everything they've said so far, nothing is new. Where's the news? Dan Scavino, one of the closest aides to President Trump. Yeah, I knew that, too. What's the news? Keep going. Dan Scavino has known Donald Trump since he was 15 years old. Worked for him for more than three decades, starting as his golf caddy. Nobody inside the White House, outside of family, had a closer relationship with him. The great Dan Scavino, most powerful man in politics. Scavino, who helped manage Trump's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You see what I mean? They they haven't said anything new yet. And they're two minutes into this dumb thing. Just a little thing, right? Because they they know they don't actually have anything, so they got to build it up, build it up, build it up. If they had, you know, earth-shattering news, you just say it. You just you just come out and hit people with it. But no, since they don't have anything, they got to make it seem like they have something. So hence they go, you know, with all the build up, build up, build up that actually never leads to anything. One of just a handful of people who were with Trump on January 6th as the attack on the Capitol was unfolding. The January 6th committee wanted to talk to him, but he defied their subpoena. After a court battle, he did finally talk to special counsel Jack Smith's team of investigators. Scavino's office was just outside the Oval Office. And sources familiar with the investigation tell ABC News Scavino told investigators he went in to see Trump as soon as he saw the violence had broken out at the Capitol. And he described Trump sitting in his small dining room next to the Oval Office, his arms folded, staring at the television, watching live coverage of the attack on Fox News. Trump was angry, Scavino told investigators, according to the sources, saying the election had been stolen from him and that his supporters were, quote, angry on his behalf. As has been described by the January 6th committee report, other advisors came in to see Trump as well, including White House lawyers, Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, and eventually his daughter Ivanka Trump. Stop for a second. So there's the big news. What is it? No news. There's no news here. There's no news. That, that Scav- Scavino was one of a handful of people seeing the president today. Well, he only sees a handful of people on any given day, right? When you think about it, right? If he's not campaigning, why well, one of his closest aides saw President Trump watching TV. Now you got to go back, and I have done this before, and I'll do it again. You actually show people what was on television on January sixth, and people think, well, uh, it was all right. It was those horrible images. Well, we have been so bombarded with those images of the, the the skirmishes between the cops and the protesters, right? You don't even know where you saw them first. On January 6th, 2021, there wasn't that much coming out. There was a couple of still pictures of the guy with the hat running around like a lunatic, but there wasn't that much on TV. I've done this. I've actually looked at the footage, and you could be watching TV. What was he supposed to do? It done. All right, keep going. Yes. All urging him to make some kind of statement telling his supporters to leave the Capitol. The sources say Scavino described Trump as non-responsive and his demeanor as, quote, very unsettling as he continued staring at the TV. Soon, he told investigators, all of the advisors left the room, leaving Trump alone. (gasps) I don't believe it. I don't believe it. He was watching TV. And again, what was on TV? Keep watching my videos. Nothing much. A bunch of people walking around outside the Capitol. And more or less, you're allowed to do that. More or less, you're allowed to do that, especially when they at one point moved the bike racks and waved everybody in and said, come right up, come right up. But it didn't look like 
It didn't look like much. It looked like a flea market at one point. It looked like a bunch of people walking around. Who used to go to the flea market at the Roosevelt Raceway? Remember Roosevelt Raceway? They had a big parking lot. I went to the flea market there a couple of times. That's what it looked like, a bunch of people milling around. Um, but they're not done yet. They've got to make this thing. they got to do something with this January 6th. They're so invested. Uh, cut 22. What we're seeing is how deep Jack Smith has reached into Donald Trump's orbit. Yeah, we are, George. And this uh, could be a fascinating split screen when there's ultimately a trial. You have former President Trump on the campaign trail, essentially telling his supporters to reject the results, the reality of the 2020 election and what happened on January 6th. At the very same time, you could have Trump sitting in the federal courthouse in Washington, D.C., just blocks away from the Capitol, potentially sitting across from these witnesses that testified about acts that paved the way for this indictment against Trump. Now, I think it's also important to point out, George, I've talked to multiple sources close to Trump, close to his legal team. They say that they're essentially going to use what these witnesses said uh, in a good way, that they're not going to run away from these witnesses, that they're going to use their testimony as a way to prove that Trump actually believed what he was saying as it related to the election and fraud in the election, for example. That may not be a fulfilling defense in the end, but it's not just Trump's political allies who are going to be testifying. You also have his former White House lawyers who have not signed on to the campaign. Right, exactly. His former White House counsel, Pat Cipollone, Cipollone's deputy, Pat Philbin, two of those top aides who were with the president extensively on January 6th, trying to provide reasoned advice to him to get him to do the right thing. Important to point out here that we did hear from Cipollone and Philbin in the congressional investigation, but not as it relates to their conversations directly with the former president. All right, stop. With pre- Actually, those uh, those two lawyers were uh, talking like crazy about what happened. They were they were they told everybody what the hell he wouldn't listen to us, but they weren't giving him legal advice. It's something else to look at. You know, by the way. Well, it wasn't legal advice. It was a political advice. You need to make a statement, which he ultimately did, by the way. But that's political. It's not legal. Uh, and also, the president doesn't work for the lawyers. It's the other way around. But those guys, they work for the swamp. So their longevity, their professional uh, life, their, their, you know, just access to money, uh, future employment options, right? All that stuff they got to consider. Trump doesn't. And that's another reason why we love him. Be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Uh, let's see here. Breaking news. Breaking news from the New York Post. Epstein accuser claims pedophile Epstein has sex tapes of Trump, Clinton, and others, according to new documents. Uh, Back in 2016, somebody named Sarah Ransom (laughs) sent a bunch of emails to her girlfriends about all this stuff. What was happening in 2016? Trump was running for president. Everybody was saying everything about him. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. If you look it up, Trump had a, a pretty almost public falling out with Jeffrey Epstein. That guy figured him out long before uh, everybody else did and basically gave him the heave-ho all the way back in 2002. Now, the word is that uh, Jeffrey Epstein made a move that he shouldn't have on an employee at Mar-a-Lago. And uh, word got back to Trump, and uh, 
they banned him from Mar-a-Lago going forward. That happened like all the way back in 2002 or maybe even 2000. So I don't believe it. This is just, uh, and I also, I'm, I'm having a hard time figuring out what's what with all these documents that are coming out. You know, the list, the list, the list, the list of people mentioned in depositions, the list of people mentioned in depositions. I, I don't, I, I don't. And I also think, you know, people giving me a hard time. I don't think Bill Clinton was into underage. I don't think so. Look at some of the girls we know he's been with, right? Eleanor Mondale. Um, yeah. He fooled around with Eleanor Mondale, the uh, daughter of Vice President Fritz Mondale. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Monica Lewinsky, young, but not crazy young. Uh, Jennifer Flowers. I'd even say Jennifer Flowers was age appropriate for Bill Clinton when they were uh, <clears throat> seeing each other. Viviana from Brooklyn, hello. Hey, Greg. Happy New Year. God bless you. I'm, I'm really uh, encouraged by your witness for the Lord. I'm calling on for two things. Thank you again for taking my call. Um, number one, I was thinking about your dad and what he would do if these protesters were going around. Um, I think that they might be practicing um, a large scale uh, for a large scale attack on New York because they're hitting all the major arteries, the trains, uh, the uh, airport. It's almost like a practice for something. That's number one. And number two, um, there is a documentary by Professor David Clemens that talks about not only the January Sixers and their plight, but also how the election was manipulated to rob the the uh, U.S. citizens. It's called uh, uh, "Let My People Go." Let and my people go by Professor Clemens. I want to check that out very, very much. Uh, Let my people go by Professor Clemens. I'm going to find that Viviana. Thank you. And uh, yes, as far as Eric Adams giving up the streets to protesters. I have a feeling he agrees with their plight. He agrees with what they uh, support. He agrees. Uh, ceasefire. I know he, he he plays both sides on this one. He plays both sides. But this is a guy who's friends with Farrakhan. All right. Don't tell me he's pro-Israel. Don't. <laughs> I don't think he is. And uh, he actually just signed a consent decree, and it formalizes. The police practice of giving up streets, bridges, roadways to protesters. If Ray Kelly were in charge, guess what? Taking over a bridge or a street or a highway like the FDR, that's against the law. And you will get arrested for it. Well, back when in, when he had the job and Bloomberg and Giuliani, you know, sane, competent people who lived a lifetime of achievement and merit before attaining those top jobs. Elwick, Elwick just <laughs> laughed his way in.